Hey everybody, this is Brother Frank and welcome to another episode of The Remnant Call. I'm glad to be here with you tonight. And uh, folks, I'm not going to mess around. This is a very important message and I'm going to share at the end of this message. Um, it's about nine or so minutes from Brother David Wilkerson. Um, just with some words that are not only just powerful, and I'm when I mean powerful, but encouraging and soul stirring. Um, David Wilkerson was by far and bar none my favorite preacher in modern day. Um, that man was responsible for more tears mowing my grass uh, than any other preacher I've ever known uh, because he had a way of driving that word so deep in the heart. And that can only be done by the spirit of the living God that would cause me to re-inspect my walk with the Lord. And, and right now, folks, there is a stern warning going out to God's people. It's to me, it's to everybody. Take this seriously. Take this so seriously. And and I, I want to share something with you. It's not I, I'm not going to share a lot because I want you to hear the words from Brother Wilkerson, but but I want to him to build on what I'm going to share with you right now. There's a lot of you who feel disconnected. You don't know where to fit. You don't feel like you fit in a church, in a home fellowship. You can't find somewhere online. Thank God you're a part of the Remnant Call family. But folks, my desire is that each one of you find someone, somebody to fellowship with, uh, if at all possible. And I know there are some people that don't have that opportunity, but don't give up. Um, there are seasons, uh, even when Paul uh, didn't get to see Timothy and Titus for a while. And, you know, God has us in seasons sometimes times where, where we don't have that direct, but we have the fellowship with him and where two or more are gathered in his name. And that's just, that means two or more, you, you and the Lord, you're just gathered together. He'll be right there. Okay. Just cause you don't have somebody else, but you and the spirit of the living God just gathered together. Jesus is right. He's in the midst. He's right there with you. And it's very important to understand that because so many people are wondering what is the church? Who is the church? Is it a building? Is it, Brother Frank, I don't have a church to go to. Folks, I'm dead serious about what I'm talking about right now. Please stay with me. This is important. It's very simple. The word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, ecclesia, however you want to pronounce it. Okay, I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's a compound of two different words. It means a calling out or or it means a meeting, especially a religious congregation, meaning the called out, the gathering together of the saints, of the believers of God. That is the church. It's not a building, okay? It's not a denomination, it is when people are gathered together that believe in the Lord. That's the church. And that means you can be a part of the Lord's church no matter where you are. Okay. And I'm not a, I am not a replacement theology person, but the church replacing Israel. I'm not even going to get into that. I'm not that. Okay. Uh, but what I'm talking about, the gathering of the called out of God. And, and to, this is simply a warning to the ecclesia, the ecclesia of God. Since we understand, though, clearly that the church is really the people or the gathering together of the people, then the message is truly for each one of us that I'm going to share with you right now. 
If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 13. You're familiar with the story, but it's time to redig back into this one. Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to read all the way through verse 13. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five were foolish. They were foolish they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps while the bridegroom tarried they all slumbered and slept and at midnight there was a cry made behold the bridegroom cometh go ye out to meet him then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said unto the wise give us your oil for our lamps are gone out but the wise answered saying not so lest there not not be enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut afterward. Came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore. For ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Powerful words. But I want to unpack this message a little bit more this evening as we dig into it. Starting back in verse 1, let's look a little deeper. I'm going to repeat verses 1 and 2 again. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were wise and five were foolish so it says here the kingdom of heaven is like what it's like 10 virgins do you see that the right off the bat there is supposed to be a purity among god's people do you see that they were virgins you might be thinking well how can we be virgins we're all messed up yes we are messed up but praise god through repentance and forgive us forgiveness we become as brand new again that's the amazing thing about being born again in Jesus. Our filth, our our wretchedness, it gets washed away. And at any moment, God can forgive your sins if the believer will simply cry out and come back and he will make all things new again. So yes, you can refall back into that category again. The interesting thing is that they were waiting for something to happen. Were they not? Think about it. They were 10 virgins there, five were wise, five were foolish, and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. They were waiting on the bridegroom, okay? They wanted to go see him, and it was dark out, so they needed lamps or oil in their lamps so they could go see him. Now, the Bible, we know that the lamp also represents the word of God. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So they had their lamps with them. They had the very word of God with them. They weren't just talking about Jesus. They weren't just are talking about the Lord. They weren't just playing church. They were actively carrying the word with them. They knew the word, their lamps. It was the light. It's what directed them. And we know that Jesus comes in the very end. And at the end of time, the world will be a very dark place. 
What God is saying is we need the word to navigate through these dark days until the bridegroom returns. But there was a problem. There was a problem. They all had the word, but not all of them were doing right. See, the Bible says that five of them were foolish. Let's read verses three and four. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with them. You see, there were they were living the life. They were acting and trying to, to be good people, but only five of them actually had oil in them. Do you know, there are scholars out there that know the Bible, know all about it, but because they don't actually have the spirit of the living God, that by they are just repeating words often empty leading people astray but a scholar that is filled with the spirit of god it pierces when he teaches on the word of god to strengthen the believer to believe deeper in the word of god but the problem is five of these simply only had head knowledge of who god was they had a form of godliness but they were denying the power of it they were raised in their church but they had no idea truly who the Lord was. But there was also another problem, a problem that takes place right before the coming of Jesus. This is the end time. They were this this whole scenario is about the last days of the virgins right there. The problem right before Jesus comes, when people should be actively waiting and hoping and watching and ready for the Lord's return. Look what it says in verse five. It says, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. So all at once, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the darkness of this world, out of nowhere, the bridegrooms ends up showing up, and guess what? They are sleeping. You see, because the Lord didn't return immediately when everybody thought, because they had to pray a little bit longer, because there was still some more work to do, people got tired and went to sleep. Just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's sitting there facing the crisis of the world, bearing all the sin of everything that's going on wrong in this world, crying, shedding tears of blood. This God of ours, he is literally suffering everything that this world has to lay on him shoulders. He's going through hell literally right here on earth and he asked his disciples to just watch and pray it's it, this is the end of time for jesus on this earth he's saying i need you to do something this is the end for me and right now what i'm doing i need you to watch and pray because what i'm about to do you're never going to understand till after it happens they couldn't understand it because if you if, if you don't believe that look at their actions they were trying to always tell jesus to do something different than what the father had called him to do. Oh, we so often try to tell the Lord how we want things done. Rarely do we ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do? Here, instead of praying and watching and being ready, because the second coming is going to be just like the first coming. History will repeat itself. There will be sleeping amongst believers, amongst remnant believers, amongst those who call themselves the ecclesia, the called out of God. They will be sleeping instead of actively watching. And verse 20, Matthew 25, verse 5 says, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Verse 6, and at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. 
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Oh, folks. That's the worst place to be in at the end of time. To have been playing this game all along. To come right up to the very end and to get there to the very end and realize that the Lord's coming back and you were one of the foolish virgins playing the game thinking that obedience by itself was enough to save you. But folks, true obedience means there is a relationship, a heart surrender, and a transformation, and a filling of the spirit of the living God. Listen, I believe in obedience. I totally believe in obedience. Folks, you can be blessed just simply for obeying. That's why you can you can be a non-believer, but follow God's laws he set forth in this world, and you will have blessings. But without the spirit of the living God, without a walk with Jesus Christ you are simply only obeying and there will be obedient people that don't end up in the kingdom and here we had those that were for the most part showing up at the prayer meetings they were there every week at church they were virgins they were not living the whole worldly life but they had no walk with the Lord they were empty and void of his spirit they went to trim their lamps And they had a big problem. The bridegroom, Jesus, had shown up. But listen to verse 8 and 9. The foolish said unto the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. See, the real problem was not just that the foolish virgins didn't have enough oil. They didn't have that walk with the Lord. That's not the real, even, that's only some of the problem. The deception is what is blowing my mind right here. The real problem that they had was that they thought that they had been so conditioned from their churches to believe that they could get into the kingdom on someone else's ticket. Do you see what they're saying? They said, hey, listen, wait, you've got enough oil. Give me some of your oil. Give me some. Folks, that's exactly what happens today. There are so many people that believe that this their pastor is the one who's going to get them in or somebody else's faith that's going to get them in. And when that moment comes at the end and you're like, hey, give me some of that oil. Give me some of that oil I've been waiting for. No, 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 no. You need to have your own. You're not getting into the kingdom on somebody else's dime. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen like that. And the problem today, we've been taught so often in the churches in America, that it's the pastors we need to rely upon them. We've been conditioned that it's the pastor who is the true leader. And uh, listen, a good pastor is worth his salt. A good elder is should be respected. I believe in church leadership when it's done biblically. But we, what happens is because we've taken Jesus off the throne, when a pastor messes up or an elder falls, we end up being devastated because we've been taught that we must rely on somebody else to get into the kingdom instead of Jesus Christ alone. And you may say, well, I don't go to a modern church, but all we do is listen to podcast after podcast, and I need the next new word and the next new uh, magic charm to say or the next new prayer of Jabez or whatever it is. And if I only have that or I buy the right survival food or I get a satellite 
iPhone or whatever it might be, then I'll be ready for the kingdom and I'll be okay. And the Bible says that you need the spirit of the living God if you want to get into the kingdom because salvation comes from Jesus Christ alone and by no other human being. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. You see, folks, all your churchliness, all your wearing Christian t-shirts, all your bumper stickers about Jesus, all of these things like that, don't mean a hill of beans if you don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ. It is simply fluff. It's window dressing. It's other things. But the truth is, do you walk with the Lord? Listen, folks, obedience will never be a problem if it comes from relationship because it will happen naturally. You will do the things that God wants you to do because you love him and you walk with him. But if you just play the game and wear the window dressing, you can put lipstick on a pig all day long. It will still be a pig. And Jesus says, you know what? You might have come to the church. You might have done the game. You might have listened to the right podcast. You might have put all the food away and done all the preparations. But I don't even know you. I don't even know you. That must be the scariest verse in the Bible just about. I don't even know you. I know you not. Church, Jesus put this. Remnant, Jesus put this in the parable, in the Bible, so that we wouldn't fall into the same trap in these last days. Look what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 52, verses 1 and 2. Awake, awake, put on strength, O Zion, for the, thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for hence there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust, arise and sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands off thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. The Lord says, rise up, put on strength in these last days, and the beautiful garments. Garments. Loosen off the bands. Folks, we need to be awake. God is calling his church to arise and shake off the dust and to loosen those bands from off our neck because we have a mission to do. You see, you can't only read the word in life and think that it's enough. You must have an intimate prayer life and walk with Jesus Christ. You must commune with God so that he can dwell in you and through you. I find it interesting. I remember that movie. It was out some years ago. And listen, folks, I know there's always spins on movies. Don't please don't tell me this movie's bad or whatever. I'm just telling you, I, I actually appreciated it. It was so simple. The movie War Room. It was so simple. Tony and Elizabeth Jordan, you remember? They had it all, great jobs, a beautiful daughter, and their dream house. 
But appearances can be deceiving. Tony and Elizabeth Jordan's world is actually crumbling under the uh, the strain of a failing marriage. While Tony basks in his professional success and flirts with the temptation of another woman, Elizabeth resigns herself to increasing bitterness. But their lives took an unexpected turn when Elizabeth meets her newest client. You remember her, Miss Clara, and is challenged to establish a war room and a battle plan. To pray for her family. Now folks. It was so simple. And that is the biblical strategy. We are at war right now. We are at war for the lost souls of men and women in this world right now. We are living in utter chaos. But if we don't get back into that walk with the Lord and in that relationship and in those prayer closets and in that time with the Lord, I'm telling you right now that your walk with the Lord is in vain if you have no relationship, no battle strategy, no seriousness in your walk with God. I appreciated the simplicity of that movie because when she went to war, things began to change. Ask any missionary who's been in over their head. Ask anybody who's seen those that looked unsavable come to the Lord. Ask the people who didn't give up on me when they thought for sure that I was lost in a world of drugs and every sin you could imagine, but there were people who refused to give up in prayer. And in 1999, I left the, my house strung out on crystal methamphetamines, running around on my wife, doing everything wrong, violent, and I got born again outside of of a church and saved miraculously by God because people went to war for my soul. Isn't it about time we start fighting for other people? Arise, church. It's time to make war. Get your battle plan. Get your war room ready. It's time to fight until Jesus comes again. Thank you for those who've been praying. I asked you last week to keep Mary in prayer. Please, folks, keep my friend Mary. She is in desperate need of prayer. God is faithful. He is able. He will deliver. Thank you so much. But we must begin to fight harder. And we fight harder on our knees. And when God says the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Folks, I want you to understand what that really means. A righteous man is simply somebody who begins to share the very heart of God. They are not perfect. They don't get everything right. But as they begin to get intimate with the Lord and share the heart of God, God begins to share his plan back with them. And they begin to do the right things, that which is righteous, because now they're listening back to God and they start getting on God's plan. And when you get on God's plan and God shares his heart, you start to pray the way that God wants you to pray. And that is what we're talking about. The effectual fervent prayers of a righteous, a person who is praying the very heart of of God availeth much, has power because it's what God is wanting you to pray. The Lord is out here wondering, where are the intercessors in this hour? Where are those who will stand up? And I'm going to share a powerful message here from Brother David Wilkerson. I want you to hear it. And uh, folks, I'm telling you, this is the hour. I thank God for Brother David's uh, Wilkerson's um, effect on my life and the depth of what his sermons caused me to to uh, search so deep. And I want to share this with you folks because it is so important that we get it, what's going on right now.
Now, folks, listen to me, please. I told you that being prepared is no joking matter. I'm going to ask. I, I, I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm asking you to, to hear this pastor like you've never heard any preacher in your life now. Because many of your souls depend on it right now. Folks, it's time to take the word of God seriously. God means what he says. But I honestly believe that God looks down on a church that's fast asleep. He's looking down right now on a church that is unconcerned about his soon coming. The church no longer is intimate with Christ, no longer dependent wholly on God, dependent on the Holy Spirit, but running around with schemes and plans and dreams and networking and strategizing and committee meetings, trying in the flesh and sweat, trying to make it rather than depend on God, Almighty God. The church doesn't need anything else but God Almighty on his throne. And now, for the sake of unity, compromise, in comes the gospel of prosperity and the good life. I have to stay on my knees like I did this past week, get low with God and just walk and cry and scream. Oh God, break my heart. Don't let me get addicted to the easy life. The desire for things. That's why the Lord says, don't set your heart on the things of this world. But set your heart on me, Jesus said. I will be your life. And there's a thought that says, oh Lord, one of these days, this is all going to burn. This is not my life here, Lord. Thank you for this piece of furniture. Thank you for my car. Thank you for the finances you're supplying. But oh God, it's all going up in smoke very soon, Lord. You're my life. When you have time for friends, for family, for relatives, you have no time to dig into the Word of God. You have no time to pray and seek the face of God. And you tell me Christ is your life? But multitudes today are being saturated with your okay messages. How to make Him everything in your life so that you don't need the applause of man. You don't need to produce something. You don't have to write something. You don't have to do something. But you lean on Him, and the greatest thing that you're getting from God is revelation of who Christ is. I don't care if anyone ever hears my name again. I don't care if I ever speak to another conference. I've made up my mind with God if the rest of my life were spent nursing Gwen. I would enjoy and rejoice in the Lord. If that were my calling, that's what I would do. You see, God goes through the land. He searches every church in the nation. He searches every pastor's study. He goes through every church looking for seekers. He's looking for those who are into the Word of God, who have taken time. If we are not seeking His face, we are in no position to receive His blessings. In the United States, we're getting letters now from pastors' wives who said, I've been trying to find out why my husband has changed. He doesn't love me anymore. He's empty in the pulpit. He has no anointing. What's happened to him? And they find out. They open the door and they see their husbands watching filthy pornography. I don't want my eyes polluted. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't care who doesn't pray, I'm going to pray. I don't care who doesn't read the Bible, I'm going to read my Bible. I want nothing to do with it. And I cry, oh God, where are the voices? Where are the people?
that cry out against them. Where are the praying people? And I say, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, keep me on my knees. And I was in anguish. I was in anguish four blocks from here on Broadway, weeping and crying and wailing. I wasn't looking for a ministry. I wasn't looking to build a church. I was feeling God's pain for a lost city. He's going to show you the condition of his church. He's going to show you the condition of your own heart. And he's going to ask you a question. What is it to you? How can you tell me that you love him and you're ready to go and you neglect him day after day after day? Don't tell me you're going. You're not going. You're going to be left behind. God's promised if you will wage war against every sin, every desire that's contrary to Christ, I'll be with you, I'll go before you. But folks, the man who really wins the battle, the man who's ready to face anything that the devil throws out of hell, is the man or woman that's been studying God when there's no crisis, when everything is well, when there seems to be blessing and prosperity. That man is diligent before God and seeks his face. A praying man is as bold as a lion. There's no demon, there's no devil in hell that'll scare him. What God desires more than anything, and I think what blesses the heart of God in heaven, is that those in their good times when all is well, they're not parked in front of a television set watching some filth. They're not foolishly laughing at some program. They are taking special loving time alone with God. They're praying for their families, building up faith for the hour of tribulation. They're seeking the face of God. And your family is in trouble. If you're not a praying man, no amount of preaching, no amount of teaching, no amount of counseling, nothing going to get through to you, nothing going to do the job until you yourself get on your face before God and lay hold of heaven. Keep us on our face. God, keep me broken. God, keep this church broken. God, don't let us sit back on a crest of blessing and get lazy and see disorder come again to this house. We don't just want crowds. We want your glory in this house, oh God. We want your glory and your power. I tremble at your word. Let us tremble this morning that it's possible for godly men and godly women who once prayed, who once had such an anointing to finally lose it this day of temptation when all hell is breaking loose. God help us determine I will seek God. I will seek God with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength and all that's in me. That we must not forget Never forget God's grief against sin in his house, in our own lives. We'll preach grace, we'll preach mercy. But folks, I want you to know something. God says the day of grace is about to end. The day of grace is coming to an end. Beloved, the Lord loves his church. He loves his people with an undying love. But we are so bent on going our own way. We're so bent on drifting. We're so bent on, 
on, on giving up that burden of the Lord. That's why God has to keep building a fire on this. I know he has to do that in me. He has to do that in me every, every day. He has to keep stirring my heart. God says, I'm moving. I'm going to do what I promised to do in the last days. Hallelujah. Through the pouring out of the Holy Ghost. God is going to sanctify his church. He's going to sanctify his pulpit. Folks, God has a plan. He's working on You can't see it. I'll tell you, if you knew what God had in store for you, if you seek Him, you'd be so rejoicing you couldn't contain yourself right now. But that's not going to happen if I don't seek Him. I can abort that whole plan and end up in disaster and ruin. Right now, you set your heart. Here's your prophetic word from heaven. If you seek me, you'll find me. I can't help believing in closing that there's going to be a victory march in glory. I'm so glad I'm saved. <clears throat> I love you, Jesus. Amen. That was powerful. And I just want that to soak in with you all. Please, folks, it's time to fight. It's time to make war. This is Brother Frank on the Remnant Call saying to everybody, good night and shalom. Made you his desire Blow a trumpet inside